0: The high cost of auto insurance has long been a deterrent to living in Detroit. Millennials who have moved into the city in recent years have maintained addresses in the suburbs that they grew up in just so they can get cheaper auto insurance rates. It's estimated that half of Detroit's drivers are driving illegally without auto insurance on any given day. This has spawned an entire cottage industry to sell Detroiters week-long auto insurance coverage just so they can register their vehicle legally every year at the Secretary of State's office. Starting July 2nd, Michigan's unique no-fault auto insurance system is going to change drastically. Motorists will no longer have to purchase unlimited medical coverage for auto accidents. They'll also no longer have unlimited medical coverage for catastrophic auto accidents. The goal of this sweeping reform is to lower the high rates that Detroiters and other Michigan residents pay and get more motorists insured year round. Will it work? That's the big question that still looms. I'm Chad Livingood, Senior Editor at Crane's Detroit Business, and you're listening to the Detroit Rising Podcast. My guest this week is Anita Fox. She's the director of the Michigan Department of Insurance and Financial Services. She's Michigan's top auto insurance regulator, and the new law has given her new powers to make sure insurers aren't overcharging motorists for their car insurance.
1: What makes Lockton stand apart from other insurance brokerages is also what makes them better. Independence. Unconstrained by the rigidness commonly associated with the insurance industry, Lockton challenges the norms of what a brokerage can be. The creative thinkers at your Lockton, Michigan offices are always empowered to do what's best for their clients. Visit Lockton.com to learn more.
0: Director Anita Fox, thank you for joining me here on the Detroit Rising podcast.
2: Thanks for having me
0: let's start out a little bit of back history so people understand how we got to this moment where we're having this major change in auto insurance and and sort of what it sort of means uh, for Michigan in the history of our of our auto insurance laws here
2: well the auto no-fault law that we have now the auto insurance no-fault law has been in place since the 70s and over the last several years there have been a lot of talk about whether it needed to be changed in part in large part driven by the fact that although we had the highest benefits in the country and there were many good things about our no-fault system we also had towards the top of the highest costs in the country. What happened is we saw a disproportionate number of drivers driving uninsured or having to make uh, really tough economic decisions for their for their families. So over a course of years, there had been an administration's, there had been attempts to introduce bills and try and get uh, consensus on changing and, and they never kind of made it all the way through um, until last year in May, when this, you know, historic bipartisan uh, legislation changing this decades old law was signed into to law by Governor Whitmer. And as a result of that, The goal is to keep what's good about the no-fault system and about the high benefits that we have in Michigan, but to make it more affordable, increase consumer protection, both in terms of how the department uh, reviews rates and in terms of what insurance companies do in terms of making those rates available to customers.
0: Yeah, those stops and starts uh, in no fault reform. When I was a daily reporter in the Capitol, I called this the uh, no fault fire drill. Uh, mm-hmm. that seemed to happen about every six months for for the better part of a decade, basically. Um, right. So. So once they uh, actually did go through with it and, and made these changes, you have now this new system where you can buy uh, different levels of personal injury protection. Talk a little bit about that, about how, what, what consumers are going to see uh, on July 2nd when they start uh, uh, shopping around or, or, or their policies come up for renewal.
2: Well, hope they're shopping around already if they have a July um, renewal date. So, for policies that are issued or renewed after July second, these choices will be available. And and there are two kind of big categories of things that people have to learn. And you know, before we had everybody had the same PIP, this personal injury protection, the part of the policy that uh, covers you for medical costs, you and your family, if you're involved in an accident. That that PIP coverage was lifetime unlimited great benefit, very expensive. And that's still available and the only state in the nation where it's still available. But now you can also make some choices depending on what your family's needs and budgets are. From 500,000, 250,000, uh, down to 50,000 if you're on Medicaid. And then at that 250 level, you have an option to um, do a little more coordination. You could always kind of coordinate with your health coverage, but now at 250, if you your family has health insurance that doesn't exclude coverage for auto accidents and a deductible of less than six thousand dollars you could choose that you're going to rely on that health coverage for those people instead of the personal injury protection that medical portion of your pip and if you have medicare you could choose to opt out altogether for yourself. And if your family members have that kind of qualified care, as we call it, something that will cover you in an auto accident with less than $6,000 deductible. So those are kind of the basic choices on the personal injury, the, the part that covers your medical. On the bodily injury property damage part of the policy, that's one of the mandatory coverages to drive your um, car in Michigan or get your plates registered. You've got your PIP, the part medical, and then you also have this bodily injury property damage, which is the part of the policy that covers you if you're claimed to be at fault in an accident. So we've always had that um, possibility that if you cause someone serious bodily injury, they could sue you for, for their pain and suffering and other things. And that's the part of the policy that responds to that. It'll, it'll cover you. The insurance company will get you a lawyer and pay damages up to whatever the limit is in, in your policy. Those limits have been in policy forever. They've been changed and up now in light of inflation and, you know, the decades and in light of some new potential risks in the new system.
0: So in the old system, you had a, a BI, bodily injury uh, liability coverage of $20,000 for claims involving one motorist and 40000 maximum. But a lot of people had over time gone to even a fifty two thousand hundred thousand dollar plan. not now you have a requirement that you're supposed to go to two fifty or 500,000, but you can still opt out? Is that, How does that work?
2: Exactly? Um, actually how it works, so under the old law, the 2040, the 20,000 per person injured, 40,000 per accident um, was a minimum. And so you're right, some people started increasing that, even though the law hadn't kind of increased that, you know, people as part of their planning with their agents or their financial planners, or just their, you know, the risk tolerance had increased those, people who had umbrella policies probably had a requirement to have higher limits. That those long those 2040 hadn't been changed in, in decades. So now that minimum the equate what equates with the minimum of 2040 is now fifty thousand one hundred, fifty thousand per person, hundred thousand per all people injured in an accident. But there's a default. If you don't make a choice, it's fifty two hundred and fifty thousand five hundred. So that people are left inadvertently with less coverage than they may want. If if you get a bill and you see it's 250 500 that you defaulted to and you don't want it, you can go back to your agent. If you'd had an accident with the lower coverage, you might you you know might have been in a different situation. So it's not it's not required it's a default to make sure that that's in there for people who you know, don't want to make a choice, or inadvertently don't make a choice. But the minimums are, are 50 to 50,000, 100,000 for that kind of liability coverage. Cover if you are at fault in an, or alleged to be at fault in an accident.
0: Yeah, how, what's the real world practicality of this? If, if if I'm driving around, I keep my unlimited PIP, but I I hit someone and, and who doesn't have it, who maybe has the 250,000 a PIP. And they they sue me for uh, being at fault. I have the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar bodily injury coverage. If 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 a jury awards them a million dollars, how does that play out? Does the insurance company just pay the two fifty? and then they come after me personally. How, how's this gonna work in the new new okay. system?
2: We have to sort that out a bit. So your 250 has nothing to do with it, essentially when you're sued, because that 250 that you've chosen is how much medical coverage your own family has. What the difference is under the new law is that, as I mentioned before, you could always, you whatever your unlimited PIP, your own medical was, even if you choose that, that just covers you. The question is how much coverage do you have for that other person, and what can they sue you for if you're at fault? So we know you could always be sued for pain and suffering, serious bodily injury, which could have been a million dollars before. Many times, plaintiffs will go after the insurance limit, whatever it is, uh, or your other assets or your income, and that's why you need to think about it in your picture. But what adds in under the new law is this. In the in the old policy, you knew that whoever you hid, even if you, that you were at fault, at a minimum their medical costs were completely covered by the unlimited pip that they had on their own their own car and their own policy now if that person that you hit says that you're at fault and that person only has $250,000 of medical and their medical costs exceed $250,000 they could in addition to what they could sue you for before could now also sue you for those excess medical benefits, which would only be paid by your insurer, all of their damages, whether they say, you know, it's 500,000 for pain and suffering, I have another 100,000 in medical bills, whatever those are, when you add those together, whatever your bodily injury property damage limit is how much your insurance company will pay on your behalf. Now there may be other sources for that person. They may have their own medical insurance, but they're certainly entitled to go after you first to see if you have assets or income or a policy that could cover that. And that's why you need to kind of consider it in your whole picture. It'd be different for different people, different risk tolerance, different plan of how they've, you know, own their assets, what their income is, you know, and the like. So that the difference now is that. Not everyone that you hit has unlimited lifetime medical. They might, but they might not.
0: So that's that's why some of these agents I've talked to are selling these bigger umbrella coverage plans on top of that BI coverage just to guard against uh, hitting someone who has less insurance on the um, medical.
2: What I'm telling those agents and what I would tell anyone is that is a very personal decision for the policyholder. And I don't think that anyone should tell anyone by the least amount of coverage, unless your only goal is to pay the least amount and you don't really want to take into risk. And by the same token, just saying that everybody should have unlimited, you know, as not unlimited, obviously you can't get that on the liability side, but as high or an umbrella and as much um, as you, as you can, doesn't really reflect what this law is intended to do. And that's to make individual choices about what makes sense for you and your family, just like we do in every kind of insurance. And honestly, in the old system, the pain and suffering in those seriously bodily injury to people were, were a possibility that you could have a million dollars suit against you right now before the law changes. So some of that calculation hasn't changed and how you, what kind of income you have, do you own your house, you know, jointly with your spouse? And so it couldn't be, you know, part of a part of a, a credit or attachment if you were if you were sued and they had a judgment against you or, you know, do you have trusts or do you not have assets or income? You know, where are you in your life on that? And what is your budget for that kind of coverage? And, and how are you putting together a plan for yourself? Those all have to be considered. So an agent who tells you one way or the other that everybody ought to buy X or everybody ought to buy Y isn't, in my mind, really serving the role of helping you make the best choice for your family. And you should push them on that and say, well, wait, tell me why for my situation that makes sense and what are the options, what are the risks, and what are the costs? How, is,
0: um, how from a state regulatory standpoint do you even police that? Um mm-hmm. Well, sales
2: a couple job. of ways. First, I can tell you I have put that message out to the agents and their associations that we will be monitoring that. There are a couple ways we do that. And, and obviously the main way that we monitor particular behaviors by insurance companies or agents is as we handle complaints through our live call center and through our online complaint uh, mechanism. Because what we can do with that is really drill down to why what was said to a particular consumer and why. For example, if someone says my premiums went up with no reason. We need to. I can't tell you sitting here today why your premium went up, but if I can see you've first gone to your agent, you've gotten to your company, you don't have a satisfactory explanation, you feel like nothing's changed, we can look at that and say, okay, go to the insurer. Why? What did you do? We we have um, authority over agents under market conduct review, and if they were not uh, meeting the responsibility as an independent agent to give advice not based on you know the the agent trying to protect their own potential you know mistake, but rather it's rather than looking at what an insured needs, and we started to see a pattern, we would definitely look into that and work to see whether we had some enforcement that needed to be done with that agency.
1: Lockton is not just your broker for risk management, insurance, employee benefits, consulting, and retirement services, they are your partner. At Lockton, Michigan, They embrace your challenges as their own, and they work to proactively achieve long-term goals while protecting your interests at every turn. Visit Lockton.com to learn more. I'm Chad
0: Livingood, Senior Editor at Cranes Detroit Business, and you've been listening to the Detroit Rising Podcast. Here's more from my interview with State Insurance Department Director Anita Fox about the new no-fault auto insurance law. Director Fox, how much shakeup do you expect to see in the auto insurance market in both new insurers coming into the market and people who are just going to be maybe changing insurers for the first time in years as they, you know, look around and set different options.
2: Well, on the first question, what's it gonna to do to the market? Now, first we have a pretty robust market in Michigan. We have more than a hundred carriers. What I'm seeing is there are two steps for a company writing auto insurance in Michigan to enter into the market. First they've got to come to us with an application for permission to write in Michigan. Do they have the financial wherewithal? You know, are they gonna be able to pay the reserves? You know, we don't just let anyone Hang up a shingle and say, you know, I'm going to insure people in Michigan and then find out that they don't, they're not, they're not a safe and sound company. So I've already received applications from a number of companies um, to do business in Michigan. The next step is then they have to put out rate filings and actually show that they want to get out in the marketplace. We are, we don't, I don't believe and we may have won, but I, I'm not sure yet who have done that and it doesn't surprise me that those new entrants into the market will wait a little bit till the first round, but we're definitely seeing interest uh, in companies coming into our Michigan market and that's obviously great for competition here as well. Um, on the other side, that's a tougher question of how, how people will do. We hope that by raising the profile of our department, and by encouraging people to shop and educate themselves and we have a lot of resources we've set up this website michigan.gov/autoinsurance where we have you know a lot of information including the exact form you're going to fill out when you make your choices which explains the risks and benefits and videos to go along with that that people will will be educated on kind of what the choices are and then be able to take that and shop. Because I can tell you from having reviewed all the rates for every single filing that came in, that there is a difference in rates between companies. And so once you know you're comparing apples to apples, like look at the $500,000 PIP level, and this is what I want, and I don't want any of those non-mandatory coverages, this is the price I got, and being able to compare that, I think people will save money. So my hope is that we see more of that than in the past, because before we would have choices, people just it was just easier to just check the box and renew. But maybe this is is a time for people to shop.
0: When we uh, last talked, which was uh, February fifth, which seems like a like a <laughs> lifetime ago now, yeah. in the coronavirus shutdown, you you had mentioned there were some companies in out of state that were that had applied or made the initial inquiries to to get in the market. Are you you saying that they're now not quite ready to go in or what's the... No, they're in.
2: I don't know that they've issued rates to consumers yet, but they're working towards it. There's a lot that goes into it. Once you get approved to do business, you still have to get your rates and forms and everything approved by us for a particular line of coverage. So there's a process. Mm -hmm. They've all jumped through that first hoop of showing that they have financial stability available and have met our safety and soundness requirements for doing business in Michigan and they're moving through the process. So I expect that we will see new rates from those companies coming in and that, and we're making sure that they are bound to for eight years for the rates that they come in at. So they have to be competitive with these reduced rates with other insurers so that, that we're making sure that it increases competition in the market. So we're working through that with them and you'll, I expect to see more rates being published by more companies
0: have those are those companies can you make them they made public yet that they're in the market
2: i don't know the answer to that but i will i will check and get back to you i i do know that you know how normally with their actual rate filings that they have the option to keep them uh, private until the rates are issued just so that um, we make sure that it's kind of like closed bidding that people don't just that insurance companies just don't all go towards a certain rate that they actually have to try and come up with their best competitive rate before they see what everyone else has done. And for example, here, there are a number that are not public, but will be public after July 2nd when they're published to everyone. I'm not sure if ask, just asking to do business and having that approval, I'm assuming that's public, but I will get back to you on that. I, I just have never been asked, okay. and I'm not sure.
0: One of the big of of this reform was to get at the Oh, just simply unaffordable rates of auto insurance in the city of Detroit and some of the uh, first-ring suburbs, but particularly in Detroit. What have you seen so far in the filings that suggest that rates are going down? Are we going to see any kind of even larger decreases within Detroit? Because you know, when you're paying $5,000 for to insure a five-year-old car in Detroit, that's a that's a pretty big it's a pretty big lift to to try to get that that PIP cost down.
2: Sure. So it's hard to say exactly because, again, until, you know, drivers start getting policies and premiums, how it shakes out. But I can tell you a few things. I mean, one, obviously, the law tried to put in, make some factors that were being used by insurance companies, even though they may be, you know, actuarially justified to the risk, make them prohibited factors because of how they might negatively affect certain populations especially in urban areas like credit score, home ownership, educational attainment. Those are intended to even out across the state some of the rates that might disproportionately affect. So we'll have to see how that um, plays out. We definitely have enforced that. Zip code is another one and we tried to enforce it not only for uh, zip codes but you know something that was really just a zip code by another name so you couldn't call your territory two zip codes or three zip codes if it was just zip codes it was a zip code so that's the first thing that we we hope will even out some of those rates across the state the second things are kind of uh, is when you think about it that if you have been paying a higher pip that when you have a percentage decrease it should, uh, have a bigger dollar impact for those who are paying more. Just you know, if you have a hundred dollar PIP, ten percent disk decrease, just as a as an a, as an example, would be you know ten dollars. If you have a thousand dollars, it's a hundred dollars. Another thing is we know that you know there's these mandatory coverages. There's there's a the part of the policies that you have to buy to drive on drive on the roads. That's you know the PIP, the medical, the bodily injury, property damage at some level, and then there's personal injury protection, which is a very small part, which is like for, you know, physical damage and property damage in another state. So we know that of those mandatory coverages, that PIP is a large portion and, you know, in the 49, 48%. So... For people who are trying to save money and are staying with the minimum coverages and not buying collision, which like fixes your car, your own car, if you have a you can you can buy a, a part of your policy and pay a premium so that the insurance company will fix it, as opposed to saving on premium and fixing it or not fixing it yourself. So if you stay with the mandatory coverages, PIP should be a larger will be a large portion of your policy, a larger portion than somebody who's got uh, additional coverages out beyond the mandatory. So by reducing PIP, we hope that that will also be a greater percentage decrease for those folks who are trying to, you know, get as low as possible um, as they can on their, their, their premiums. So those are just some of the factors that we think should should make sure. Another thing is, you know, you know, we've done a lot of things in reviewing these rates. We brought in independent actuaries. We did not interpret those minimums in the policy to be anything more than minimum. Some companies came back right away at the minimum. We said, no, you still have to actuarially show that you can't do better. And you've probably seen our numbers that at every level, the statewide averages exceed the minimums. That should be further help so you know the indications are that we should see relief in detroit but there there still may be areas where depending on risk it's that there are higher rates in some parts of the states than others but we believe that there will be impact on 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 those cities and and we'll certainly be vigilant about how that's working
0: just to be clear the, the new law said you can't um have territories by zip code but, but can they still have some form of territory rating? Is there is there a way to, for an insurance company to charge a different rate to someone in E-Course than they would charge to someone in Escanaba?
2: The law specifically, not only does it not allow t- territories, the, the, the law has always allowed territorial rating. And that is true, I'm pretty much sure in every state, that there aren't states that have a statewide territory, meaning that you can't take into account different costs in different territories, whether there's greater accidents, the individual costs of accidents are higher, whatever might go into why coverage might be more expensive in one area than another. It's kind of akin to this, you know, kind of the debate about roads, you know, does it the amount of people driving on the roads or amount of miles of roads, you know, those things get taken into account and depending on where you live, one may seem more equitable than the other. But the law allows that territories of some sort be put into the rating system, but it has to be tied to the risk. And meaning, when I say the risk, the costs and expenses have to be actuarially justified. But I, I would I would say that the idea of not being a, a zip code or zip codes is to make the territories essentially larger so that you mix the risk among zip codes more, a territory being greater than a zip code, so that you can begin work towards evening out premiums across areas that might have been harder hit before.
0: Yeah, the old system, one of the most striking things I ever found was using AAA's zip census track level uh, territories, even smaller sometimes, you know, three or four of them, in a zip code there was six of these different uh, um, census tracts within mm. a 10 block radius yeah. along the detroit growth point border so so that all goes away but there could be much larger territories that that as you say mix together different different levels of risk and drivers
2: yeah they do the law specifically in another section of the code that was not amended per, permits territorial rating The overarching thing is that there has to be a justification that mathematically is done. You can't just choose. Another thing you hear sometimes is, you know, do we allow redlining? Well, the real definition of redlining, obviously, is started where people would, where insurance companies would say, I'm not going to write in the city of Detroit or the city of Grand Rapids or the the Upper Peninsula. And they would essentially draw a red line and say, we don't write in there. We do not allow that for any insurer in Michigan. If you are going to write, you must write everywhere in Michigan. So that's also a floor that we don't allow insurers to, to to cross. They may market more aggressively, as you've probably seen in some areas. So some may have different, you know, amount of agents and things, and that may change the mix of how much policies they write in an area, but they are not uh, allowed to refuse to write someone based on where they live.
0: Just kind of lastly, well, what's your main advice to uh, a motorist who has been just living in this no-fault unlimited pip world for for you know, a couple decades where there was no other choices what's your advice for them about going about navigating this new system here
2: i would say first don't be intimidated by the choices you have to make you make choices in all your other kinds of insurance you're just not thinking about it if you're thinking about it now because uh, as something so different because we haven't had it. But when you choose your health plan is silver or the bronze or whatever, you're making a choice about how much you, your needs are for your family and how much it costs. And when you decide whether yep. to get uh, replacement costs on your house, how much your deductible is, whatever you're making those choices. So don't be intimidated and feel like I can't do this. You can do it. So the first thing is there's really just two basic choices. How much medical coverage do I want under my auto policy, and how much liability coverage do I want if someone if I if I'm at fault in an accident? And then I would use those kind of main parameters to educate myself. Now, we have a lot of resources on our website. We have the exact forms you're going to fill out. We will, you know, we we you can download them. If you call our call center, we'll mail them to you. If you don't have um, internet access, we're we're willing to get to you however way we can. So. There's videos, there's the forms. If you read them, they actually go through step-by-step. Step. What are the risks and benefits at every level? What are the choices you're going to be made? And then take that information so that you can ask the right questions and really start to think about you with your family. And if you have, if you if you deal with a financial person or legal people or just, you know, there's someone in your family that you really trust that knows your finances, talk about what it is you need, what it is you're, you know, Your budget, what's your risk tolerance, you know, those kinds of things. Do you just, are you a person who I just would rather have most insurance or look, this is a time in our life where we need to save the most amount of money in a perfect world. I'd buy more, but right now I got to pay tuition. I got to pay prescription drugs and I need to, you know, make, think about what you need and what your budget is so that you can ask an agent the right questions so that you can look at the policies shop around and, and get what's right for you. And then, if it doesn't work for you, or you start, you know, ask again. If even if you renewed now in May or June, check and see whether you'd be better off, you know, getting an endorsement or canceling and renewing under the new law in in July. So just, you know, get yourself educated to make an informed choice of what's right for you and your family.
0: Anita Fox, director of the Department of Insurance and Financial Services, thank you for joining us here on the Detroit Rising podcast.
2: Thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to the Detroit Rising podcast. I'm Chad Livengood, senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business. In this podcast, we're focused on the issues and people behind Detroit's resurgence coming out of the coronavirus pandemic. If you've got a feature idea for this podcast, please email me at clivengood at or direct message me on Twitter at Chad Livengood. And if you've got questions about the new auto insurance law, send them my way as well. Thank you for listening this week.
1: As the world's largest independent broker, Lockton is ready to challenge whatever risks you face and unlock opportunities to help you move forward.